Farmers today are facing rising costs, volatile markets, and extreme weather. The Better Way to Farm podcast digs into strategies to help you take control of farm inputs and maximize profit so your farm can thrive for generations. Remember to take advantage of our free resources at abetterwaytofarm.com. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey guys, Rod here to Better Way to Farm. Happy holidays. Got my favorite cow sweater on today. Hope you've got a cow sweater. It makes everything better. You know, our goal is to increase yields and improve profits. And we're on day 10 of the 12 days of nutrients. And on day 10, we're going to talk about manganese, which is an interesting micronutrient and often discovered that it is confused with a secondary magnesium. There are a lot of things here that we need to know. So let's jump right in and talk about functions first, right off of our sheet. It functions as a part of certain enzyme systems. It aids in chlorophyll synthesis, and it really increases the availability of phosphorus and calcium. Here we are again, guys. We talk about one nutrient, but it's always because that that one nutrient impacts and affects others. And in particular, adequate manganese helps that plant have adequate phosphorus and adequate calcium. And therefore, we don't want to be deficient in manganese. As we look at the Midwest Handbook here, and I'm going to talk a little bit about testing here in a minute because I think it's relevant to this conversation. They talk about manganese, and here it is. It's decreasing The availability of manganese will decrease as the soil pH goes up. Soil pH appears to be one of the most important factors governing the availability of manganese. In acid soils, manganese becomes soluble and is available to plants. If the soil becomes very acid, 4.5 or under, toxicity may occur. As the pH increases, solubility and availability decreases. At a pH of 6.3, a manganese may not be readily available to the plant. I want to talk a little bit about soil testing. Someone asked us the other day what our take was on some different kinds of soil tests, and I'm not here to say bad things about anything. I am here to say I believe strongly that the S3C test that we run through Midwest Labs is very, very accurate. And I say that because the Malik 3 is actually pretty accurate on phosphorus. We just have to divide by 1.35 to convert it back to the Bray. But the test that they run out there, they run the Bray test on P1 and P2, ammonium acetate to do an extraction on the potassium. The micronutrients come out through a DTPA with the exception of boron, which is done through sorbitol, which is a sugar extractant. And I say that because There's so much manganese in the soil, and this is super relevant. How you extract that is really important. There are some people who are selling other manganeses, not chelated, just other manganese for a soil applied, and they use the M3 test, and they they take a test, they put their stuff on, they run the test, and it shows how much more manganese is in the soil, and that is true. There's nothing misleading in that is 100% true. The situation is, though, Malik 3 extrudes a lot of manganese. Manganese, the the amount that's in your soil versus the amount that's plant available is astronomical. It's huge how much is in your soil. That's why when a pH gets down to 4.5 and all of a sudden all that manganese in that soil kicks loose and becomes available, that's why you end up with a toxicity problem at that low, low pH. Obviously, we never want our pHs to get down to 4.5. We want to be in that 6.5, range. However, that being said, if we have an extraction method that pulls out a lot of manganese, I've looked at tests 
and it wasn't a Malik 3. I'm not sure what their extraction method was. It was a test that came out of Wisconsin. They said that the people had 489 parts per million manganese. If that was the case, 489 parts per million available manganese, you wouldn't grow anything. It would be very toxic. And so according to Midwest Labs, the medium level is 9 to 12 parts per million. The uh, high is 13 to 30, and very high is anything over 30 parts per million. Obviously, I'm reading that right off the table of ratings, guys. That is your friend. Table 167, uh, table of ratings, whatever you want to call it, is really your friend for deciphering your soil test. But the method of soil testing is huge here. And I get people and they say, well, there's no reason to test for manganese because there's nothing calibrated and we can't get a response. I get all that unless you're using the DTPA, and then that, that excuse is out the window because we know very well the predictability of using manganese when we need it. There's two or three places where we know we're gonna need it, and number one is right off of that soil test. And so it's really important that we have the right extraction method, guys, or because if we don't get good information, we cannot make good decisions, and I just wanna keep driving that home because it's paramount in order to get the right decisions made. As we look into the fertilizer handbook here, and they're talking about manganese, they say that manganese deficiency is likely to occur where there are neutral or alkaline soils. If we have acid sandy soils, manganese may have leached from the root zone, and in peats and mucks, it gets tied up. Cereal crops, including several bean species, corn, cotton, tobacco, several fruit and vegetable crops are susceptible to manganese deficiency. Toxicity due to the levels of available manganese may result in acidic soils. Crops that are sensitive to excessive manganese are alfalfa, clover, cotton, pineapple, tobacco, and vegetables. Guys, that's only gonna happen if you let your pH get completely away from you. Get down to 4.5, you're gonna have a problem. Manganese is involved in enzyme systems related to chlorophyll production and metabolism of carbohydrates and nitrogen. Deficiency symptoms are evident mainly as intravenal chlorosis, which may be confused with iron and zinc deficiencies. In severe deficiencies, the chloretic areas may become gray and then brown, and eventually the leaves may die. Again, magnesium is gonna be intravenal striping at the bottom, more of a yellow. Iron is gonna be more of a white. Manganese, because it doesn't translocate well, is gonna show up in the top, in the new growth, as yellow intervenal striping. And so as we look at these deficiencies, we wanna be able to somewhat grab them by the eye, but it's better to find them before we ever can see them, guys. Visual deficiencies cost big, big, big money. Obviously, when we're trying to cure a manganese deficiency, the best way to do that is to go ahead and foliar feed, and that talks about that in here. I'm not gonna read that part. Well, just to say, the most effective spray application should be made early morning or late afternoon. Temperatures are lowering during these times of the day and the leaves will absorb more of the spray. Foliar spraying should be done on cool, cloudy days rather than hot, clear days for the same reason. Avoid applications during the hottest part of the day when the plants are wilted. Also, if we're trying to prevent it, if we're looking at the soil test, and it's very well noted that banned fertilizer applications are much better. Band application will result in a much more efficient uptake of the micronutrient, which has a tendency to react in the soil and soon become less available to plants. They're talking about using a non-chelated product, which only exacerbates that problem. We wanna use the chelated, and we still want to row place it and put it where we need it to be. Talking about from the Western book here, what they see, what their signs of deficiencies are, because we wanna be able to identify these. Again, also, this is closely associated with copper and with zinc. 
and it apparently acts as a catalyst in plant growth processes. The most apparent symptoms of manganese deficiency, chlorosis between the veins in the new growth, loss of the color is often um, followed by development of spots and dead tissue, which may drop out, giving the leaf a very ragged appearance, and the entire plant can be considerably dwarfed if we have a manganese deficiency. Coming out of our one of our newer books, Echo Farm by Charles Walters, as I, I look through this, I've really enjoyed getting to spend some time in this and reading the, what he has to say about this. Manganese aids the oxidase enzyme in carrying oxygen, and it enters into the oxidation and reduction reactions needed in carbohydrate metabolism and in seed formation. Guys, this is responsible for fruit set. It's how we're gonna get a better fruit set, and that's what we're after is more corn, more beans all the time. And so we wanna make sure we're doing those things that are gonna do that for us. Looking in the Albrecht papers out of, it's volume two, and he's talking again about the relationship to calcium, guys. And so excessive calcium carbonate may mean a deficient mobilization of many other essentials from the soil into the plant. It reduces the amount of potassium taken and unsuspected symptoms of this deficiency may occur in a reduction of the crop. This deficiency is serious though, because it may carry through several seasons. It also reduces the amounts of trace elements, copper, zinc, manganese, and boron active moving and moving into the plant roots. Guys, having calcium in the right level is a good thing. Having it too high works against us and is not our friend. And we want to make sure that we're not doing the wrong thing here. Too much of any product. Again, that base saturation, we really never want to see that get above 80%. He also says that the visual symptoms of a manganese deficiency vary from necrosis by blotches on the leaves, from chlorosis to breakdown of the seed cotyledons, and especially in legumes. And while legumes are kind of, they, especially like your alfalfa, is sensitive to too much manganese available, it's also very sensitive to not having enough, and it really changes how that crop grows out. I want to, just not out of any of the books, but in everything that I read as I was preparing for this and I kept studying and studying, the thing that just kept coming back was that high pH will make it unavailable. And when I say I'm looking at some soil tests right now for Chad, who I'm going to be calling here in a few minutes, and he's got some, some high pHs, and that's going to affect the availability of a lot of things. A high pH makes P1 and P2 ratios get real wide because why? That calcium hangs onto it, makes that, that phosphorus less available. It's going to impact iron and make sure you can't get enough iron. It's going to hold up your manganese and keep it from becoming available. Likewise, if we have we let our pH get off the cliff low at four and a half, we're probably going to have fight some toxicity and manganese in our plants. Although I don't know that we're going to grow anything very well with a pH of four and a half. We've got to really talk about that and think about how we're going to make that better and how we're going to correct that. Schrieffer was talking about in his book regarding manganese that Certain crops, such as beans, will show a yellowing effect of manganese deficiency more quickly than crops such as corn. It must be remembered, however, that a crop deficient can be deficient even though it is not detected with the eyes. Those are called hidden deficiencies or hidden hungers. We have set the soil level test of manganese at a minimum of 25 and would prefer it to be near 50. Now, obviously, they're using a different lab and a different extraction method because we really are pretty happy if we get up into that 25 to 30 range being very, very, very sufficient. You will note that manganese soil levels are several times higher than zinc, copper, or boron. Because of this, it's hard to really build a soil level that is low. 
it would require 40 pounds of elemental manganese just to raise at 10 points. So guys, we're not gonna be looking at, at doing things that way as far as change it. We're gonna farm around it, we're gonna row place it, we're gonna fix it, and we're gonna use a chelated product so it doesn't tie up, and we're gonna use a chelated product if we have to foliar feed. And he talks about that, that in here. Manganese may also be obtained in a liquid chelate form containing 5% or more elemental manganese. The chelates are designed for foliar feeding and are quite effective. The need for supplemental manganese usually occurs early in the season, especially under cool, wet conditions. Manganese-deficient plants will lose their chlorophyll. They will turn to various shades of yellow. When the soil warms up and the roots begin to develop, the symptoms normally disappear. Manganese-deficient plants must be salvaged by foliar feeding. Once the signs appear, we can assume that there is a loss of yield. Prevention is the key. If we know soils are in the low range, preventative steps should be taken to hit off both visual and hidden deficiencies. And guys, that brings me to this. I want to talk about a lot of us are still using some glyphosate. And we've known for a long time that came out of Purdue. But if we're using glyphosate, we know we're getting some yellow flash. And we know that the application of our 100% chelated manganese will reduce the yellow flash. And if we can reduce the yellow flash, we can increase the yield. The yield data is very consistent and significant. And if you're spraying, we, some of my friends refer to it, the farm, they call it low-hanging fruit. One of the lowest-hanging fruits that you can get a hold of is to put a pint of manganese in when you're spraying post-emerge glyphosate. Something to consider, and we'd love to talk to you more about that if you so desire and help you with it. And lastly, as we get into hands-on, because that's where I typically like to close at, with Neil here and see what he has to say in regards to this. He gets to talking about all of the different things and how they interact. He was big on nailing the interactions and we wanna be doing the same thing. We want to catch those at the right time. He's got Mulder's Ball on here, which you should look up, Mulder's Ball. It's how all the different nutrients interact with others. First thing he says is potassium is the first key to stock strength, but the crop also has to have enough copper and enough manganese. Guys, those are the ones that are gonna work for us. We're gonna make sure we have enough potassium, but we wanna have enough copper and enough manganese. That's where the strength comes from in that plant. That's how we're going to help prevent that corn falling down and, and tipping over on us. And we don't want corn laying flat. We wanna see good standability. Another problem that we see is too much sodium in the soil. As the percentage of sodium and potassium in any combination exceeds 10%, so if your base saturation of sodium plus potassium is over 10%, it will begin to block manganese uptake. This is another time when you're going to be in hard times getting it in there. If this situation gets bad enough, it can cause severe problems due to lack of sufficient manganese uptake. Even when the soil test shows excellent levels of manganese, it will still occur because of the nutrient tie-up. It is a blockage of manganese due to an excess of potassium and or sodium. So something else to look for on that soil test. What do those base saturation numbers add up to on potassium and on sodium? If they're over 10, we probably need to be looking at some supplemental manganese as we try to figure out what it is that we're going to do to keep that crop healthy and going. Here he is talking about as deficiencies. It will depend on more than just where your iron level is because iron and manganese work together. So we got a combination there. Those two are relevant. And we know there's a ratio that we'd like to have on that. 
He would like to see iron at 200. Once you get below 100, there's reason for concern. And manganese at 75. So guys, ideally, we know that we'd like to have about 1.5 iron for one point manganese. That's, we are not gonna change that. But what we are gonna be aware, we're gonna be cognizant of it, and we're gonna be thinking about it. And we're gonna say, okay, we have too much manganese. We have more manganese than we have iron. And all of a sudden we know manganese created an iron deficiency. If we have way too much iron, maybe we've got five or six times like I have here on my own farm. I have 46 part per million iron and manganese at six. So it's just almost eight times greater that creates a need for supplemental manganese here on our farm to get a crop to grow. And again, I wanna talk about this. Obviously, he was using a different extraction method. He is saying that he wants to get that iron at 200 parts per million, and we're looking at 25 being where we'd like to drain it in. He'd like to see manganese at 75, you know, and we're, we're very cognizant of the fact that at 30, we're where we need to be. But that has to do with the extraction methods. Those are not disagreements in, in papers nor authors. Uh, they're just working off of the tests that they have. When a soil test shows that it's deficient in iron, the availability of iron from the subsoil is unknown, and the manganese level is higher than the iron or lime has been applied, this, these will adversely affect your available iron levels in the soil. So once again, we're coming back to the same thing saying, hey, if we've got too much of one, it will be at the expense of the other, and that's almost every time. And we wanna make sure that we're aware of that and applying the supplemental if we need to. Manganese, not to be confused with magnesium, helps crops grow in several ways. It accelerates germination, hastens the fruiting and the ripening of crops. It's important in the assimilation of nitrates, and it is essential for the assimilation of carbon dioxide and photosynthesis. And in combination with potassium and copper, we're gonna hit this again, it gives stock strength to the crop. Manganese is an essential part of the enzyme system and it is directly involved in the uptake of iron. And we just wanna keep coming back to that. Even manganese and magnesium deficiency symptoms are similar. In both cases, the leaves will turn yellow or maybe even white, except for the veins, which remain dark green. But the difference is that the manganese deficiency shows up where? In the top, in the new growth, and the magnesium deficiency shows up in the bottom, in the old growth. And so we know that we're, we're meeting that head on and we know what to look for so we can catch these visuals. But guys, I really wanna encourage you, if you haven't done anything with manganese soil test, check it and see what the recommendations are and then do some tissue tests and follow up. There may be a lot of lost yield here that you can be picking up for a very small amount of money. Manganese tends to tie up in the soil the deeper it is placed or even naturally if you continue to check it at lower depths in the soil. As an application in the aerobic zone is likely the only time manganese will have any lasting benefit on the amount and materials required and a subsequent cost. Guys, we believe strongly that the best way to handle this is through row placement. And if we put a chelated product in there, it resists the tie-up. It's a lot more likely to get into the plant. We would like to see it applied right in the root zone. And then we'd like to follow that up with tissue testing. And when we come out of that tissue testing, if we're found to be deficient, we're going to foliar feed a chelated product. So I'm super excited. I really like the manganese product that we have. It, it's done a lot of things for a lot of people. We've seen the need increase. 31 years ago, I think our team sold about 10 gallon, literally about 10 gallon of manganese. And I have no idea how many thousand gallons of manganese we have sold in the last 12 months. The need is really large and it seems to be ever increasing. 
I think there are things that we've done in the farming operations that have increased that and probably going to continue to happen. And as we start learning about what microbial bugs are impacted by what micronutrients, I'm anxious to see what bugs are adversely affected by a lack of manganese. And they will be figuring that out soon, and we're going to be excited to talk about it. Why? Because it's going to make you a lot of money, and that's what we're after. Guys, we appreciate you tuning in, and we hope that you guys are having a really super holiday Christmas. Thank you for tuning in. We look forward to coming back to you with day 11, and we'll be doing that soon. In the meantime, we hope you're having a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.